This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now. Everyone, this is Chris Grasso with the Indie Spirituals Podcast on the Be Here Now Network. And I am very excited after roughly five years of hosting the show to finally have on uh, a neuroscientist and author, someone whose work I've been a fan of for years, uh, Rick Hansen. Rick, thank you so much for being with me today. Chris, I've already had a good time <laughs> just <laughs> hanging out with you in a few minutes before we started here. Yes. So honestly, when I saw your show and everything about it, it, it was it was a priority for me to want to be on it. Uh, so thank you. I mean, that means the world to me. And for those listening, they can't see that Rick and I are, are on video uh, right now. And Rick showed me this really rad shirt he's wearing. It's a very nice Buddha <laughs> shirt. And some of you have probably seen either the shirt or a meme um, or the post just says, let that shit go right underneath the Buddha. And would you say it's like the the Buddha Dharma <laughs> summed up right there? It's I think it really is. Yeah. I think it's like acknowledge the shit and let it go. I love that. So I know we're going to have a great conversation. And before we get started, Rick, I just want to read your bio for listeners that might not be familiar with your work. Uh, Rick Hansen, PhD, is a psychologist, senior fellow of UC Berkeley's Greater Good Science Center and New York Times bestselling author. His books have been published in 29 languages and include Neurodharma, Resilient, excuse me, Hardwiring Happiness, Buddha's Brain, Just One Thing and mother nature with 900 mother nurture oh my gosh you're right thank you for catching me on that mother it's a good one it's about how to nurture mothers which if we did that consistently would change the course of human history in a generation i i believe that no doubt about it. Yeah. So um, thank you for that clarification. Um, and with 900,000 yeah. copies in English alone, uh, Rick's lectured at NASA, Google, Oxford, and Harvard, and taught in meditation centers worldwide. His work has been featured on the BBC, CBS, and NPR. For more information, visit www.rickhanson.net. And if you are watching or listening to this on the Be Here Now Network, simply scroll down. We will have that linked in the description, we also have a link to Rick's books and uh, anything else Rick Hansen related. So, Rick, thanks again for being with me. Thanks, Chris. That was gracious. Oh, well, thank you. And and that's the tip of the iceberg. Um, you know, you've done a lot of wonderful work, which is, like I said, why I'm really excited to have you on. And let's start with, you know, we're in a very interesting time right now, stating the obvious here. But, um, you know, coronavirus, COVID-19, it has people in um, experiencing things that they haven't before. And, mm. you know, so with all that's going on in the world today, what would you recommend when it comes to coping with our natural fears that arise and we experience during these times? Wow. I know. We well, there's like so to much. Start easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's, well, it's my world right now too. Yeah. Your world right now too, right? Um, uh, my... Uncle is in the hospital in North Dakota, mm. and no one can visit him, for example. Yeah. And um, we are dealing in my own life with a lot of inconveniences, right. I would say substantial financial losses, but we're hanging in there, you know. Yeah. On the other hand, I, there are people I know uh, well in Haiti who are living in fear when the pandemic starts sweeping through you know, that country. So there's a lot going on, right? I'm sure you're dealing with stuff yourself. Absolutely. So um, the way I look at it as a psychologist and also as just a person dealing with it is there's, okay, what we can do out in the world, 
what we can do inside our physical body, and what we can do inside our minds. All are important, right? Yeah. I tend to focus on what we can do inside our minds, drawing on what we've learned about what's going on in our body, especially our nervous system and its brain. So in terms of our minds, bottom line in, we manage uh, challenges and threats through having resilience inside, right. which comes from all kinds of strengths. Mindfulness, happiness. Happiness is a major strength sure for resilience yeah. and underlying contentment and gratitude. Spiritual practice, uh, insight, willfulness, grit, fortitude, determination. Yeah. These are all things that make us resilient and help us weather the storm. I've had a lot of experience uh, in wilderness settings, rock climbing, mountains, stuff like that, extremely hazardous environments. And you, you get through them by drawing on what you have inside, you know, right. what you sure. know what you're able to, yeah. So I immediately go to, okay, how do we use the strengths we've got? And especially, how do we grow new ones? Mm. How do we grow new ones? And one of the ones that I'm focusing on a lot these days is such a traditional strength that's easy to underestimate it, patience. Oh, huge. Patience. It's huge. Yeah. It's so easy to go, at eh, patience. It's like a Reader's Digest value or what your you know, mother or grandmother used to say, be patient. Um, we have to be patient. So for me, it's there's so many things we could draw upon that get us through this time. Patience is one of them. I think being able to calm the body and to recenter and calm down, really important. Tending and befriending others. That's a phrase from the work of a professor at UCLA, Shelley Taylor. Talks about managing stress, not just through fighting or fleeing, but through tending and befriending, through yeah, taking that. care of others and connecting with them. It's really important. And then I think... Um, Maybe a last thing is just find your footing. I feel like, in effect, we're all walking on a knife edge or at, you know, it's like two feet wide, surrounded in fog, and we don't know if it's a 10-foot drop or a 10,000-foot drop mm -hmm. beneath us. And until it clarifies, stay safe today, right, yeah. for them as well as yourself. And, and then gradually, um, as you see clearly you know, and take action appropriately, you know, we're going to get through this. We're going to get through this. Right. Uh, so those are, those are right off the top of my head. And at the center of all that, I guess, is just practice. Do you have a practice? You know, I'm a longtime mm -hmm. therapist and people will tell me things. And after feeling genuinely compassionate about it and, and sympathetic, there's this pause where the question hangs in the air. So how are you practicing with that? Right. Yeah. And that's what we can always do inside ourselves, no matter how much it sucks outside ourselves. That's practice. So those are some wonderful points. And I'm going to ask you in a second, too, maybe we could dive into one or two of them with some examples of like yeah. application. What can we do? Um, you bet. Yeah, thanks. I love um, for myself and listeners. It's wonderful to talk about these things. But as you know, like the rubber meets the road when we actually implement them into our practice. You bet. What I love yeah. about, you know, I've been working with meditation and mindfulness for over 20 years myself. Um, and this is a little kind of outside of the box maybe, but I've also been playing guitar for longer than that. Probably, I don't know, 30 years, give or take. And I'm about to be 42 next month. And just really since COVID hit, to be honest, like, you know, I have a practice, but this is forcing me and, and pretty much anyone else. I'm still an essential employee. I work in the mental health field with teenagers, with mindful, or excuse me, not mindful, mm -hmm. so mental health issues. And so I'm still doing yeah. that. But, you know, at a much scaled back uh, pace. And so I have, like most other people, a lot of time. So what I started doing is um, I started learning about the guitar. And what I realized is mm. I love and I play the guitar. But I realized during this time there's a difference between musicians and guitar players. And I'm just a guitar player where I've just played. I taught myself. I never took lessons. I don't know anything about music theory. I still couldn't even tell you. Um, a lot of the major scales. I, I mean, I play well enough to be in bands and I've been in bands my whole life, recorded toward, but here I am now. And it's like, wow, I love this instrument, but I know nothing about it except just how to play. And so patience has been a huge one. And like you said, practice. Mm -hmm. So I'm sitting down now and practicing these scales. And the correlation for me is that without this mindfulness and meditation practice that I've had forever, I don't know, like, 
that I would, you know, I could stick with this because it's time consuming. It's difficult. And that's probably why I didn't do it when I was younger, because I didn't have a practice. I just wanted to get in there Mm -hmm. and rip on it. Um, But now and it's just not guitar. It's all areas of my life. But that's something that's happening for me today. Um, So, uh, you know, I'm grateful for that. So bringing it back to here we are today. and people really are getting, you know, quarantine stir crazy. I understand that. I know yeah. certain states are starting to open up in some areas. And we just had a big protest and I'm in Connecticut and uh, we had one last week. And, you know, so all that said, not to get political, um, but people that are trying to abide by the rules and, and really take care of one another and social distance mm-hmm. and stay quarantined and home. What what are some of the practices? You know, you you mentioned a number of wonderful things about you know planning mm-hmm. your footing and being grounded. What would what would you suggest as far as just can start today easily applicable for anybody? Hmm. Uh, so <laughs> it's great to talk with you. Uh, so um, I think that small practices and small bites one breath at a time there's a saying apparently from tibet if you take care of the minutes the years will take care of themselves so on the one hand i think the you know little practices bite-sized things are super important i'm really happy to talk about those while simultaneously at this at the same time though that's what simultaneously means but anyway you know um to aim for and to um, reserve for oneself, if you care about it, the right to profundity. In other words, what I mean by that is that both are true. These short bite-sized practices are true. And also, like you've done, clearly, the long-term cultivation of a courageous heart, an open-heartedness, strength of will, wisdom, well-being, I call it the unshakable core mm-hmm. of resilient well-being inside ourselves that we've read that's embodied. Right. We feel it in the body. So both both are true. Okay. Absolutely. So in terms of uh, and I'm just asking, and run awakening. Yeah, I'm just asking because like when I, I'm thinking right now about the teens that I work with, you know, and it's like oh, yeah. getting oh. 13 to 18 year olds to sit for three to five minutes, you know, is wow, totally. success. But of course I work with yeah. adults and the listeners on the show range. So um, I, thank you for clarifying that, by the way, the, the short, minute, oh, I'm, and I'm really into, I call it yeah. hit and run and enlightenment or quickie I, enlightenment, you I know, like that. these quick things. Yeah. So, yeah. So uh, maybe if you I could, just to go, I was gonna say, if you don't mind, jump, we'll do a, a couple on both sides of the scale. If you're comfortable doing that, like some quick oh, ones I love like you that. mentioned, and then what can we do to yeah. prolong and really get some deep it? ones? Yeah. That's great. Awesome. So quick one is, can a person step back from their reactions? Can you step back? Can you get out of the movie of your experience and with mindfulness, just witness it? Can you name to yourself in really simple words that are that are descriptive uh, what you're feeling like sad, irritated, frustrated, don't know what to think. Just name to yourself what you're feeling with a little bit of detachment from it. You're not suppressing it. You're not trying to minimize it. It's not a, it's not a trick. You're naming it with acceptance mm. and typically with a feeling of kind of warmth and even compassion for yourself. That simple move, it's like, a, it's like how do we relate to our experiences, right? We're always having experiences. Key question, how do we relate to them? That simple move, that's a shift in our relationship to our experiences is 50% of the journey, I think, as also, me too, a mental health professional. Um, And neurologically, what's really neat is that as you simply note or describe your experience to yourself, you know, breathing, uh, worried, tired, heavy-hearted, whatever it might be, um, activity in the amygdala decreases. That's the alarm bell of the brain. There are two of them, what we call them in the singular, the amygdala. So activity in the amygdala decreases and also activity increases in portions of your brain right behind your forehead that help bring a kind of perspective and calm and centeredness to what's going on. Just that alone, five, 10 seconds, you can feel the shift. Just step, just kind of name to yourself what you're feeling with acceptance and compassion. Kaboom, you'll feel different. Here's another one that I really like that's a super quickie. Um, uh, Get a sense of your body as a whole or really anything as a whole. 
You know, so you feel your body. Okay, here's the whole body kind of as one unified thing with a lot of little things bubbling around in it. Great. Or you could be aware of the room as a whole you're in. Great. What that does neurologically is it quiets activity in the midline cortices of the brain, which are very involved with either stressful task doing. You know, at this time, right, last month it's, it felt like it was always March. It had always right. been March forever. Right. Now it feels like it's always been April forever, right? Uh, we went into our own version of shelter in place just five weeks ago. It feels like five years ago, right. five lifetimes ago, right? You know, so, but you're doing all this stuff or you're ruminating. You're worried about this or that. You're feeling overwhelmed. You're brooding over resentments. You feel flooded. You're, you don't know where things are going. You're involved in the default mode network in the back. I call it the ruminator. You're in the ruminator. Well, there's a lot of suffering and stressing that involves uh, these midline networks in the top of your brain being active. On the other hand, when you go into the sense of things as a whole, like your body as a whole while you breathe, mm. or a sense of the room as a whole, that naturally decreases activity in those midline networks and increases activity in networks on the sides of your brain, especially right-sided for right-handed people, because the right hemisphere for right-handed people is involved in holistic gestalt processing. Mm -hmm. And you can do this experiment anytime in 10 seconds or less. If you just start to say, okay, I'm really pissed off about this or freaked out about that, and still you just say, okay, 10 seconds. I'm going to be aware of my whole body right now. Instantly, the stressometer, you know, zero to 10 scale yeah. will come down from a seven to a four. You know, it may not go all the way to zero, but it'll dial down. Yeah. Uh, it'll bring you into the present because when we're in the midline network activations, we're in the future or the past a lot. So yeah. being aware of things as a whole and these activating these lateral networks on the sides of the brain will bring you right into the present, which is the only place we can be at peace. Um, it'll reduce the sense of self. There's all kinds of selfing going on in the midline, taking stuff personally, my precious, you know, <laughs> right, right. Uh, all that <clears throat> dials down yeah. right there, right there. Boom. 10 seconds. And I'll give you one last one Please. really fast. That's so trippy. Enough. Yeah. All right. So yeah, I've done two already. Yeah. You know? I love um, it. Gosh, a third one, well, I'll give you four total Let's that are quickies, it. right? A third one is just take them, I call it the three breaths. Here we go. Do you, you want to do it with me? I It'll take a little longer. To. Let's than, do it. Okay, great. I'm totally so here. people can do it too. It's their first, second, and third breath. So here we go. First breath, just as you breathe, feel sensations in your chest. Okay. In the second breath, feeling sensations of breathing, bring to mind one or more people you care about and focus on feeling of caring, maybe related to sensations in the heart. People you like, people you love, could be a pet. There might be a sense of lovingness or friendliness in you as you breathe. That's the second breath. And then in the third breath, also being aware of breathing while feeling like, what's it like to be with people who like you, right? Doesn't have to be perfect. Yeah. They like you. They're your friends, your buds, you know, you, your partner, your beloved, whatever it might be, your dog who loves you. Uh, that's the third breath, breathing while feeling cared about. That's it. That's less than half a minute, you know, just right there, right? I can see it in your face, Chris. Oh, it changed. You can see it in my face, maybe. Yeah. You know, changes us. Um, so that's the third practice. And warm heartedness is naturally soothing. Yes. And a key point before I say the fourth quickie, yeah. right? I can't believe I'm doing this. That's, four quickies. That's but great. anyway, <laughs> it's great. You're bringing it out of me, man. <laughs> uh, it. It's cool. <laughs> anyway. Um, <clears throat> Whatever we practice grows stronger. Yeah. In other words, there's a traditional saying, what we rest our mind upon repeatedly, the mind takes its shape mm -hmm. from what we rest it upon. Rest it on re resentments or rest it upon feelings of self-worth, right? You're going to take, uh, the, you're going to be affected over time by that. In much the same way, by repeating these practices, we develop trait uh, mindfulness. We develop trait um 
you know, present moment awareness. We develop trait warm-heartedness by repeating these quickie practices again and again, right? In the moment, they help us, but if we stay with them and feel them and then do them repeatedly, we gradually hardwire their residues into our own nervous system. So we shift yeah. gradually over time. We heal and develop ourselves over time. I love that. Here's the fourth. Ready for the fourth quickie? Absolutely. All right, Let's here we go. Let's do this. All right. Well, here's another wild one, and you can do it right now. So if you have your gaze be close to you, like you look out, you know, just a few feet away from yourself, um, you know, or you're, you're, there's like a certain state of mind that travels with that. It's naturally, it's called egocentric. I don't mean that in a bad way. Right. It's self-referential. Yeah. And as our ancestors evolved, the 600 million year evolution of the nervous system, you know, Stone Age, Jurassic Park, et cetera, Game of Thrones, not that long ago, um, you know, you had to deal with what was close to you, friend or foe. So it's self-referential. That's very understandable. And self-referencing is a major feature and factor of stressful suffering, mm. right? We're, we're caught up in ourselves, our own movie. What's it got to do with me? There's a place for that, but a little bit of that self-referential egocentrism, as it were. What's it got to do with me? Are you looking at me? Yeah. You know, right. that can go a lot. A little of that goes a long way. On the other hand, the quickie. If you move your gaze out a few meters away from you, 10 feet away, 20 feet away, or out toward the horizon, or even looking out a window, just watch what happens in your mind when you do that. Within a five, 10 seconds, your sense of self will shift. Your state of being will shift. And you'll have more of a sense of things as a whole as they are impersonally, just they are what they are, for better or worse, without that intensity of self-referentialness. You know, what's it got to do with me? And when we move our gaze out also, we tend to take more into account, right? We don't get caught up so narrowly with one little thing after another, take more into account. And what's happening in the brain is so cool. When we're looking close, naturally, understandably, it's adaptive in the wild, um, we engage this sort of egocentric frame of reference. What's it got to do with me, friend or foe, right? Yeah. Eat it or run from it or cuddle up with it, right? What's it got to do with me? But when we shift out, and this is true for other animals too, and you, it, this is true visually, and it's also true with other sensory systems like sound, um, or even just um, how you think about things. Do you, do you think about things narrowly? What's it got to do with me? Or do you think about things sort of impersonally, big picture? I've just got a small piece of the whole puzzle, mm -hmm. right? Well, when we do that, we engage different networks in the brain. They're called allocentric networks, allocentric perceptual processing networks. And I'm pointing at my head right now lower in the brain. Egocentric processing stream runs along both sides of the brain toward the top. It's more recent. That allocentric things as they are, impersonal perspective runs lower along the brain. Um, and um, it's more ancient and fundamental. We need them both, right? But man, if we're uptight about something or mad about something or cranked about something, we're probably engaging that egocentric point of view. Mm -hmm. And if uh, it's not adding much value and we want to shift in a different way, a quickie, fourth quickie, the last one, is to move your gaze out toward the horizon and just notice how it'll shift your state of being. That's it. I love that, Rick. Uh, all of those were amazing. I love I there's a little loving kindness in there in that third one. Um, the fourth one, you know, you're talking about what we're focusing on and um, speaking from experience, you know, loving kindness, um, that practice, which is a bit more involved, um, has been a, a big shift for me because I came from a place where I had little to no self-love, self-worth, self-esteem. And those neural pathways were very hardwired in that, you know, just um, self-deprecated state. And once I started doing things like loving kindness and actually being aware of what I am focusing on and and, you know, rewiring the brain to, you know, appreciate myself and love myself. And I'm still far from perfect at it. But, you know, the things that yeah. you've written about in your books and just uh, exemplified in this conversation, uh, they're game changers. And as we were saying before, we recorded, what I appreciate is that you have the neuroscience to back it up. It's not just talk, yeah. you know, there's studies and, um, you know, it's wonderful. So thank mm. you for sharing all that. And now, so did you want to talk a little bit about, so that's, you know, great for daily things to keep us going to, or to get started both. 
But once, you know, as you said, we need a foundation, you know, that's a long term that grows and continues to sustain us. Can you give an example of what that might look like for somebody that's just getting ready to start out? You know, you just laid out four great Mm -hmm. practices. How do they go about, um, you know, cultivating a daily practice and one that, let's say, Mm -hmm. does take the neuroscientific uh, perspective Mm -hmm. into account? Well, if I get you right, um, one part of it is to decide to develop yourself. Yes. What I mean by that is, you know, there's this line from Suzuki Roshi. He said, you're perfect as you are. Yes. And you could use a little improvement, right? (laughs) Both are true, right? right? Both are completely true. Um, And I think there's something fundamental in people that's very, it's soulful, it's, it's scruffy in a good sense, where you just basically say, this sucks. Yeah. I don't like it. And I want to help myself in some way. That fundamental stance where you shift and you get on your own side, you become a friend to yourself like you might be for others. And it doesn't, it's, it's the opposite of getting conceited and arrogant right. in a funny kind of way. Yeah. It's sort of humble. It says, wow, I need help. And numero uno, I need help from myself. <laughs> yeah. I'm the one person you know, each of us yeah, of who course. can help myself the most, yeah. right? I need help from that one, Yeah, me, <laughs> you know, yeah. how can I help myself each day to cope with what I'm dealing with and in the process, grow and learn and heal and let that shit go too. That's right. A little bit every day, yeah. right? How can I do that? And that changes everything. I mean, Carol Dweck, for example, at Stanford has, fan, you know, good fancy research about it. The growth mindset, that's a way of talking about it. Um, at a certain level, I think there's there's something deep in it that has to do with, I just want to help myself. And one of the main ways to help ourselves is to learn a little every day, yeah. right? Yeah. No one can defeat you inside the sanctuary, the inner temple of your mind, to uh, see a little more clearly every day, to let go a little crud every day, you know, to become a little more skillful every day, a little more insightful. There you are with your partner. There I am with my wife. I'm suddenly realizing, whoa, this is not going well. I need to shift if I, you know, not to walk on eggshells, but to be a little more skillful or, oh, I need to shift my own attitude or I need to realize, you know, that some things I've been doing that um, I thought were fun. Actually, I'm paying a price for and I need to like drugs and alcohol. You know, I need to just disengage from that over time. Uh, so that's fundamental. Does a person have that stance? And you, you work with people. I, I find with people often they actually don't have that right. yeah. stance. And it's the first most necessary and important thing. Mm-hmm. And then for me, and relates to my book, Neurodharma, which yeah. is really summarized with the picture on the cover of, you know, a big mountain where it's spread out. We start wherever we are. And yet there's a path that draws us onward toward the summit, the peak of human possibility. I think it's important to say to yourself, you know, this is a freaking precious life. All the weird stuff that came together came together to give me this life. It's far from perfect. I'd rather be me than a cockroach. I'd rather be me than a doorknob. You know what I mean? I'd rather be me living today than dropped into the world 150 years ago or even just 50 years ago. Um, And so what do I want to make of it, right? And to hold out for oneself the ultimate possibilities. Maybe we won't make it all the way to enlightenment in this life. If they're future lives, you know, but at least in this life. But it's a path worth taking and to take the next step in front of us. You know, to me, this is really fundamental. And there's something very heartfelt and muscular about this. To say to oneself, you know, I want to I want to develop as fully as I can in this life. That's a key to me. And then if somebody said if to your question, somebody is, let's say, beginning in this process. Carve out a minute or more a day. To come home to yourself. To let that shit go, to drop working, drop worrying, drop planning, drop doing drop distracting, and land in yourself, and open into who you are, and move kind of more into being for a minute or more a day. Find whatever works for you. If you want to do that while you're playing your guitar, yeah, cool, yeah. super fine. If you want to do that while you're sitting quietly with your eyes closed, you know, 
focusing on mindfulness of breathing for one minute. Fine. If you want to, if if your practice is to recall the feeling of being in your grandmother's kitchen or on your uncle's farm, and that's what you drop into, fine. But whatever it is, come home to yourself in this sort of sacred moment, just being, just being. For some people, there's there's an aspect of it that draws on. I'll call it the divine, the transcendental, yeah, sure. the mystery. You know, reaches beyond ordinary reality. That's great. If it doesn't, that's fine. Whatever you do, come home. Come home to yourself and land there. And then build out from there every day. You know, find that sanctuary, that refuge, and then build out from there every day. Mm -hmm. Those, to me, are the, the heart of the matter. Make that commitment to yourself and take refuge, you know, for a minute or more every day. That's wonderful advice. And I'm so grateful to hear you talking about, you know, um, working on ourselves. Uh, and I, I say that because, you know, going back 20 plus years when I started out, um, I certainly, and it's almost like a rite of passage for many people. I went through my years of spiritual materialism, you know, coined by Trungpa Rinpoche and, yeah. um, and spiritual bypassing. And, um, yeah. you know, I looked at the body, I'm reading Nisargadatta Maharaj and Ramana Maharshi, whom I absolutely adore to this day. And, you know, the great Vedanta teachings and, and, you know, the, the two truths of Nagarjuna and, and all these wonderful things. It wasn't until though I got to those two truths where I learned, oh, wait a minute, you know, cause I'm looking at the body as a hindrance and I'm meditating to like, it was just another means of aversion for me. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to be in yeah. myself. And then I'm reading yeah. Nagarjuna's two truths and I'm like, oh, the absolute and the relative, they're, they're both true. One's not more true than the other. And then there's a great yeah. writer, Jeff Brown, who said, yes, it's true that we are humans having a spiritual experience, but we're also human beings having a human experience. So yes. that was a I, spirituality was actually um, a hindrance to me in my own mm. quote unquote spiritual development because I was using yeah. it as a, like I said, a means of aversion. So I'm grateful, you know, and that's again, why I love your work in the neuroscientific perspective um, brought into this conversation because Yes, like enlightenment, whatever that means for people. I mean, you know, the, the everyone, not everyone, but people have their definitions and their, their, what they believe it is, but we're still in these bodies. You know, Ramana Maharshi mm. still got sick. Christ got sick. Yeah. We got sick. Like we're still human yeah. beings. We still feel pain. Difference between pain and suffering, obviously, which is one of the core four no, for, uh, noble truths. But so anyways. I don't know where I was going with all that. I'm just excited. That's great, Rip, though. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, yeah, the way ahead. I would jump in, I would just say, you know, we can be mindful of the body, yeah. which is great. You know, mindfulness of body sensations, deep practice, all the rest of that. Whether we're mindful of the body or not, we are always body full of mind. Mm. It is life that is making the streaming of consciousness moment by moment by moment certainly within ordinary Big Bang natural reality, yeah. you know, whatever may lie beyond it, right? But inside this um, natural universe, this thought right now, whatever you're thinking right now, whatever you're hearing right now, is the universe operating locally. Wow. It's amazing, right? absolutely. And, and really locally, it's called the enchanted loom, the brain, continually weaving the fabric of consciousness, right? The enchanted loom. And for me, that's not reductionistic because causal causes flow both ways, yeah. right? We we need the, the brain to make the mind, which for me is the totality of consciousness, not just intellect, okay? We need the brain to make the mind. You damage the brain, you damage the mind. My dad grew up on a ranch in North Dakota, born in late November, 1918. He passed away a few years ago, lived a very long, rich life. Cowboy, World War II, got into fishing game, became a zoologist, very bright guy. He had a stroke in, a, in the last six months of his life that uh, knocked out the right hemisphere of his brain big time. He was right-handed, so he retained his verbal abilities, but he could not play tic-tac-toe. Okay. He could not do visual spatial reasoning. He couldn't tie his shoes. He, he could not remember how to get back to his apartment from the cafeteria in his retirement home that he'd lived in for 10 years. Wow. Um, so you change the brain, you change the mind, right? So factors flow that way. Or, you know, you take psychedelics. You intervene in the brain sure. in some way or drink caffeine. I'm 
got my morning Joe, yeah, you know, right, it's right. helping me be a little sharper, maybe. <laughs> uh, flip the other way, though, our our thoughts enlist neural activity to proceed. Our feel, as our feelings flow, they draw upon underlying neural processes, and those the flow of experiences can leave lasting traces behind. Mm-hmm. So the two go together, right? But that said, maybe to finish my little riff here, to me it it just drops me into awestruck gratitude, mm-hmm. gobsmacked gratitude yeah. to to watch a beetle crawling along the ground or the fish in a pond in my backyard or the squirrels in the tree or our daughter's cat. She's living with us now, you know, uh, doing uh, sheltering in place. And to realize that the experiences of a cat or a squirrel or you and me right now are being made, made by all this incredible machinery under the hood right now. And to just feel like, wow, I've got a human brain, not a cat brain. Nothing yeah. wrong with a cat brain, but I'd rather have a human brain. Sure. I'd sure rather have a human brain than a goldfish brain yeah. or a beetle brain. And thank you. You know? Yeah. Thank you. Absolutely. Right? But then what will we make of it? How will we use this enchanted loom to weave as beautiful a fabric as possible for the sake of others mm. as well as ourselves? Thank you for saying that. I, you uh, very um, much hit the nail on the head. and. You know, as I'm listening to you, it, it's reminding me of years when going back again before my practice. Um, and the reason I do the work I do today is that I went through very difficult experiences in my life. You know, literally was on death's door due to addiction and, uh, you know, drugs, alcohol, self-harm, suicide attempts. I was waking up in the morning some days like, really, I'm still alive? Like, what what the hell? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the beauty of that experience, if I can find any, is the fact that you know, I went through that and for years, like it wasn't a one shot. I, I started meditating. I was better. I, I slipped, went back, but without or with determination and by using these practices that you share and I was learning from the great wisdom teachers, it really did shift my brain. And now today yeah. it's not like it's all rainbows and unicorns every day, but I'm content most of the day, more days than not. And coming from a place yeah. where I just wanted to die, that's beautiful and content is, you know, I'm not like elated all the time. That's the icing on the cake. But, you know, I do feel happy. And gratitude is one of the biggest parts of my day. And that's where that awestruck comes in. The beetle, as you mentioned, I was um, at a museum last year and there was a butterfly hatching. They had a little butterfly um, Uh display and I got to see it like birth out of its cocoon. And literally like I was welling up with tears, you know, like this big tattooed guy looking at a... (laughs) Uh, you know, yeah, yeah, but, that's right. But that's the beauty of this is like, I feel so deeply connected with that thanks to these yeah. practices. So I want to segue that in because, you know, you have a new book that's coming out. It's not quite out yet, correct? May 6th. May 6th. Is oh, so right around the corner. So Neurodharma. May 5th. May 5th. 5th Tuesday. Yeah. Okay, May 5th. Next week, actually. So yeah, next Tuesday. Awesome. So I know a lot of what we've talked about. It's probably been, you know, is in that book. It's definitely in your other work. But I want to give listeners um, an overview of that book, which I'm sure could be the span of four conversations between us or more. But, you know, in a nutshell, can you tell us about the book and, and what readers can expect um, that have read your previous books? What are they going to get from this one? Or if they haven't read any of your work, what can they look forward to? Oh, thank you. Well, for me, this book is a culmination book. It's a summary of really the heart of the matter of everyday resilient well-being and absolutely no bull, the upper reaches of practice and awakening and enlightenment. And one way to think of it is if we want to get good at anything, study people who are great at it. So let's say you're you're interested in the guitar, you would want to study people who, in given your preferences, yeah. are just great at it, right? And then you work backwards. How could I do that myself, right? Yeah. So in much the same way, what we can see in people who've gone all the way, Nisargada, Ram, Ramana Maharshi, other people, um, we can see seven qualities perfected in them, really developed. And we can recognize these seven qualities, these seven ways of being in ourselves, in the trenches of everyday life, and we can get in touch with them and we can grow and develop them too. So what the book's about is how to use what we are now learning about the brain to cultivate these seven qualities in the mind. So I'll say them and you can kind of feel them. Uh, 
some of them might seem a little esoteric, except they're all available to us mm -hmm. right now. And the way I approach them in a book is by focusing on practice. How do we practice them to grow them? So it's a very experiential book. It's not theory. It's very down to earth. It's very practical. Uh, I let myself write in a whole new kind of way, and it is kind of poetic. That. I love it. Yeah, I let my I let I cut loose. I thought I'm, I kicked out the jams. Yeah, you know, I'm, totally. I'm too old for this yet, right? <laughs> I'm just gonna go for it. And so I, I did, and it's great. And I, it was a trip to do. It was great. Okay, so really quick, I'll just say it. I just want to interject because yeah. you said they might sound a little esoteric. I since you only have a few minutes to describe these, I want to let listeners know. The book elaborates and makes them it's so concise. It's absolutely accessible for anyone. So, you know, I know we're going to kind of rush through these a little, but if you're listening, please don't worry. It's all there. It's written in plain English and literally anybody can read this book and gain a ton of benefit from it. So I just wanted to put that in there before you that, go. Chris. Sure. Thank you. <clears throat> well, steady the mind. So steadying the mind, that's a practice, mindfulness, stability, steady the mind. And we know what that feels like, steadiness, okay? Second, warm the heart. Compassion, kindness, camaraderie, widening the circle of us to include more of them, even if we disagree with them. And, and to have the courage to speak truth to power without letting hatred poison you, warming the heart. And then third, Resting in fullness, what you said earlier about contentment, a sense of enough already, so that gradually over time, we, we have this core in ourselves of peace, contentment, and love, which is where we come from as we deal with the challenges of life. Those are the first three. They kind of hang together. Steadiness, lovingness, and fullness. It's another way of talking about equanimity, mm. the capacity to walk evenly over uneven ground, sure. fullness. So, and you can go, oh, okay, that, I can relate to that. And yeah, I could develop that. And yeah, I can see that in great teachers, saints, sages, they got it all the way. Yeah. Steadiness, lovingness, fullness. All right. The next three, <clears throat> I call them wholeness, nowness, allness. What I mean is being wholeness is a sense of your body as a whole. Your, your, your being as a whole, nothing pushed away. Like in your story, Chris, I don't know you well at all, but I imagine you would say there were parts of yourself that you hated or were ashamed of yes. or were overwhelmed by. You know, that's very true for me too. You know, it's universal. But with time, we can accept ourselves fully. We still have to regulate ourselves. We have to you know, make choices about what we let out of the basement. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And what we do with it. And still, we can be at peace with what's in the basement. We can accept it fully, being wholeness and opening into kind of a non-dual sense of your own consciousness, all of it as a unified whole, being wholeness. Um, fifth practice, receiving nowness. It's the real sense of truly being in the moment living in the front edge of the con uh, of the windshield of consciousness mm -hmm. continually updating in the present comfortable with radical transience letting it go letting it go letting it go while receiving the arising of the next moment and um receiving nowness and you can just feel that when we drop into that so much of our suffering falls away because we're right at the front edge of now before suffering and anger and hatred and self-loathing and depression and any of the rest of it can sink its teeth into us because right. we're just receiving the next thing continuously, yeah. receiving nowness. And then sixth, opening into allness, which goes to some of the things I said earlier about you know, extending your gaze to the horizon, shifting out of the egocentric perspective, feeling more and more like you are literally a local expression of the universe in a beautiful way. You have your own identity. You are a person. There's less sense of self, less sense of contraction. You know, more and more we feel lived by and buoyed by entwined with all things. Thich Nhat Hanh called it interbeing. Yes. We feel that as we open into allness. Uh, we are each a wave. In the ocean of causes, we have our own identity for a while. Inevitably, this particular wave will pass. And yet, all the while, it was the ocean acting locally. And all the while, our nature was always water, mm. right? You know, yeah. opening into allness. Yeah. And then the last um, is finding timelessness. That's my phrase for uh, really exploring what the Buddha called unconditioned. You know, the ultimate refuge or basis for the most sublime and lasting inner peace and happiness because it's not based on changing conditions. Time, therefore, timeless. That's not changing. 
And people can relate to this either in an entirely secular way, which I'm fine with, disengaging from conditioned habits that are neurotic and harmful for ourselves and dropping into the kind of effectively unconditioned field of awareness, right? Because awareness is like a white sheet of paper, a blank sheet of paper, anything can be written on it. Same with awareness. It can represent anything. Also, there can be a sense of spaciousness and stillness inside ordinary reality. And as I am, and many are, interested in becoming more permeable to that which is genuinely transcendental, genuinely transcends the ordinary Big Bang universe, um, how do we actually practice with the body-mind process in ordinary reality to become more available to what may lie beyond ordinary reality, finding timelessness? And so those are the seven, and you can just feel them. In a single meditation, you can kind of move through them. Um, In your own practice, you can um, focus on one or the other. Uh, I put them in order because there's kind of a natural sequence. But for me, they really do summarize in a universal way. Like if you think of the the upper reaches of human potential is like a mountain. There are many roots up that mountain. There's the secular mindfulness, secular humanism path. There's the Christian mystic path. There's the Buddhist meditator path. There's the Sufi path. You know, there's the Hindu, there's Vedanta. I'm kind of at bottom, a Buddhist informed Vedantist. You know, that might be a way of describing ideal, you know. But anyway, um, there are different roots, but on each of these roots, we recognize the same seven qualities, the same seven steps taken up different roots of the mountain of awakening. Steadiness, lovingness, fullness, wholeness, nowness, allness, and timelessness. Mm. Just talking about it makes me happy. Just hearing Because, (laughs) yeah, it's the heart of it all. And we can develop these qualities in us in realistic ways every day. And critically important, besides drawing us toward as far as we can go in this life, in our own awakening, our own enlightenment, which is for the sake of others, of course, not just for ourselves. Meanwhile, down here in the screwed up trenches, holy moly, is it useful when the storm comes as it is now upon us all and it will be here for a long time. You know, it is so useful to have a mind that's steady a heart that's open and courageous and strong, right? An underlying sense of gratitude and contentment, no matter what has happened, you know, the capacity to feel whole in the present, recognizing our interdependence with everything. One of the reasons we're in this pickle is that policy makers at the, you know, politicians at the highest level in America kept trying to deny our interdependence with the natural world and Things like our reliance on public health systems, you know, you hollow those out, you're going to be screwed when the storm comes. We're interdependent. And then, of course, a a sense of vastness, a sense of mystery. You know, a truly scientific attitude recognizes the limits of science. Yes. So anyway, I I just think it's so good. It's so useful in everyday life, as well as such an inspiring aspiration toward awakening. Rick, you know, boy, we've only got five minutes left and uh, actually uh, maybe three. So, you know, I I think that might be a a really lovely way to end this conversation. Such a positive note. I I do, of course, want to give you a minute. If there's anything we didn't discuss that you wanted to leave the listeners with, um, I'm just I feel so heartfelt and inspired right now. I I can't thank you enough. But but yeah, I mean, I'm going to have to have you back on the show because, you know, like I said, it'd be a total pleasure. I'd love to ask you some questions. Well, yeah, (laughs) it'll be fun. Yeah. Um, So we'll we'll figure that out after the fact. But so, yeah, yeah, in the couple minutes we have, was there anything um, that you wanted to leave listeners with um, before we wrap up? Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I would just say first, um, it's a bit of a plug. So just acknowledging it. If people. If people want to, a really good thing to check out is this online neurodharma program. People learn in different ways. Right. So I taught a 
10-day meditation retreat on the neurodharma material. It And again, I want a second key point here. It's not inherently religious. Right. Dharma is just, as you well know, dharma is a word from India. It simply means the truth of things. Right. For me, it's a nod to and a bow toward the perennial wisdom of the ages right. from around the world. And then the neuro speaks to the science part. You know, right. there are two ways to know ourselves from the inside out. That's kind of the dharma aspect. And we can know ourselves objectively, scientifically from the outside in. That's the neuro aspect and yeah. where they come together is neurodharma okay um i so i taught this material in an ex very experiential retreat and people can access that uh, those talks and guided meditations and some interviews and a lot of great stuff in this neurodharma online program i have on my website so if they just go to my website rickhanson.net yeah. they can check out that program which is a great companion to the book and the book is a great companion to the program it's very inexpensive and if someone is in real financial need we love giving out scholarships it's a major purpose of doing online programs to be able to offer them to people who have you know genuine need which is a lot of people yeah. especially these days right. so I want people to know that. And then the last thing I just want to leave you with, I guess, you know, is one of my favorite quotations. You know, it's like a proverb, really. And it just speaks to the fundamental opportunity, which is full of hope and our own responsibility, mm -hmm. which brings it down to earth and makes it real. We earn the fruits of our practice. So the Proverbs is this. Think not lightly of good, saying it will not come to me. Drop by drop is the water pot filled. Likewise, the wise one, gathering it little by little, fills oneself with good. I feel like any words I say after that are just going to ruin this or leave us on a, a not awesome note. So I am going to say, Rick, that was wonderful. Thank you for everything you shared. Thank you for your time and the work you do in the world. I definitely I'm going to have you back on so we can do a deeper dive into this and whatever other stuff comes up. Um, the book is called Neurodharma. It is absolutely fantastic, as is anything that Rick has published before. I really love this one, though, Rick. Like you said, you just kind of let loose. And, you know, by the first second page, I'm like, wait, I had to double check. This is Rick. You know, the, the, <laughs> the information was there, but the writing was different and it was great. So um, it's a completely accessible read for anybody, whether you have any um, you know, experience with neuroscience or not. It's for the lay person. It's a great book, very beneficial. And with that said, all of that will be linked on the Be Here Now page. Rick, thank you again so much for your time. And uh, I'll talk to you again soon on the show. Oh, back at you, Chris. Total pleasure talking with you. Thanks. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Be Here Now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Be Here Now.